Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. We're going over the book of Revelation. Revelation, if it sparks zero questions in your mind, I don't know, like you're just not here, okay? What we're reading about is very, very bizarre. So um, I'm going to pray. Forgive me if I'm, Rick, make sure you, if I'm talking too loud, you lower my voice. I, I flooded this ear when I was swimming this morning, so I'm hearing out of this ear, and part of it sounds muffled, so we're just going to go for it, uh, and, uh, and I, I trust that Rick's going to turn me down if I'm up too loud. If, I'm, if I start screaming going old, old school preacher style, you just turn me down. It's just because I can't hear. I'm not mad. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Would you bless uh, the reading of your word when we get to that portion of scripture and bless your people as we wrestle, as we think, and uh, may, may the words that you said to the nation of Israel long ago, come let us reason together, may they strike our hearts. May we see Jesus in a more beautiful and glorious and life-changing way than ever before. Bless all the efforts of everyone that's here as we move forward in your kingdom. May we take one more step tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to go through uh, the, the sermon series, the teaching series is All I Do is Win, talking about Jesus in the book of Revelation. And go ahead and throw up the what passages, Revelation 1, 9 through 20. Now, here, here's what I want to start off by telling you. In all the work we do with people who don't think like I think, or like maybe you think. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you say, I don't consider myself a Christian. We're really glad that you're here. If you're here and you say, I do consider myself a Christian, we're glad that you're here as well. But all, in all the work that we've done with people who don't consider themselves to be of the Christian faith, to be a Jesus follower, there's, one, there's a number one reason why that has come up time and time and time again. And I would say, uh, in fact, I was going through, writing this message, I was trying to go through what would be the percentage of times I've heard this from people who don't follow Jesus as to why they don't follow Jesus. This is the number one reason why, and it's probably somewhere around 93%. It's pretty high. Of all that I can recall talking to people, whether it be in doubters clubs, whether it be my neighbors, whatever it would be, the number one reason why people choose not to follow Jesus very interesting. Now, this isn't something that I've read and said, here's the number one reason across the nation or across the world. So if you don't fall into this category, then, then you would be the 7%. But uh, this is the number one reason in my experience in the city of Denver, why people say I choose not to follow Jesus. And it is that they have not received a revelation of Jesus. They haven't received a revelation of God. Okay. So they would say, if God is real, why wouldn't God just appear to me, right? Like everything would be solved if God would just, if I would have a rev some sort of revelation of God. Now, what's interesting is when you go to other countries, um, you'll experience people, and some in, in America, you'll experience people who have had revelations. They've had these dreams, and you go, well, they've had these dreams because they were taught. No, no, they've never heard the name of Jesus before, and they've had these dreams. If, you, if you're wondering, like, a specific event, uh, example, I would encourage you to read Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, which the author has passed away. 
but the, the book is phenomenal in that it's about someone's journey and how they experience this revelation, this unheard of revelation of Jesus. And people have these. Now, if you're here and you've had that, you said, no, I've experienced that, like this bright light that's knocked me off a horse. Well, that's Paul's story. Maybe that's your story if you ride horses. But if you've experienced this deep, profound revelation, you're amongst the few, not the many. What, what we would start to ask as we jump into a book about the unveiling of who Jesus is would be, how do, like, how do we experience Jesus? One of the most basic questions, how do we have a revelation of Jesus Christ? We say he rose from the dead, that he's alive and well and active in our world. How do we experience a revelation, an unveiling of this person named Jesus? Now, what is interesting is people become so personal in how they experience Jesus, which is not bad, but what it becomes so personal that it's just to you, like it's just, it's just a revelation that wouldn't line up with any other testimony of who Jesus is. When it becomes so personal, it gets really weird, okay? So I would say that this is why um, people get frustrated when they, when they see, uh, let's go into, we'll go from, from polar opposite to polar opposite for a second. People get frustrated when they see certain political agendas leveraging Jesus as if they've received a revelation from Jesus for their own agenda. People get frustrated and they go, well, what you're doing is you're playing the personal revelation card, okay? People also get frustrated. Skeptics will get frustrated if you have someone who says, I believe in Jesus because I've had a personal revelation. And then they go, well, why haven't I had a personal revelation, right? Or you've grown up in a household where they say, this is what Jesus is telling our family. And you go, but I don't, I don't, I've, n- I've not heard him. I've not talked to him. I don't know what that's like. Or you go to this side, where you have people who hear from Jesus all the time, and you're wondering, what, what is this? Like, how do I get, what is the revelation of Jesus? Does it even still happen? There's an author and a pastor. His name's Andy Stanley. He wrote this ebook that's a really interesting read. It's a free ebook, um, And he talks about, the God of the No Testament, that when we start experiencing revelations that don't line up with God, with who God is, with this is why we say the Jesus-looking God, because your God will look like someone, and, and oftentimes yourself, but your God will look like someone, and if it's not the Jesus-looking God, we start to grab a hold of our revelation. This is my Jesus. And if you don't experience Jesus like I experience, if your Jesus is different than my Jesus, and you're wrong and I'm right... And there's no other standard to measure it against. And so Andy Stanley said, there's the God of the No Testament. Let's go through a few of these. You ready? This will be fun. The boyfriend God, okay? This is the romantic, everything's going to be fine. Jesus loves me. No one else loves me. It's okay because Jesus loves me, God, okay? This is the boyfriend God, which uh, I went to a Bible college. I can testify it's a boyfriend and girlfriend God, okay? So I could say that this is used both ways. Let's keep going. The bodyguard God. God would not let bad things happen to me if I'm a good person. And you go, well, where, where did you find that? In me. That's my revelation. That's, that's just the way things should work. So this is the bodyguard God. 
And the revelation here is everything's going well in your life until it's not going well and it compromises everything and then maybe God doesn't exist. That's the bodyguard God. Let's go to the next one. The anti-science God. This would be the God that maybe some of you are taught that says, hey, if science, if the creation of the world doesn't line up 100% with the science textbook called the Bible, which is not a science textbook, by the way, but like if it doesn't line up 100% with the literal of this and this and this, well, then the whole world and all science is wrong. And you just need to soldier on, put your head down and keep going. That's the anti-science God, right? And you go, where's that revelation? I don't know. That's, that's maybe your revelation. Let's keep going. Someone told me so, God. This is the God that says, someone told me about this God, um, so why do you believe this? Well, because someone told me. Because it boils down to this question of why do you believe in the Jesus you believe in? What we're going to get into in the book of Revelation is this incredible revelation of Jesus that will rock all of our worlds. But when, 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 when it boils down, you go, well, because mom and dad told me. Well, that's really good that mom and dad told you, but at a certain point, you must embrace the truth of who Jesus is personally, or you reject. But it can't be because so-and-so told you. That's the someone told me so, God. Let's go to the next one. The gap, God. This is where there's a gap, like you can't explain anything, and there's something maybe catastrophic happening in your life, and you go, I don't know, God works in mysterious ways, and he does. But to chalk all bad things that you can't explain up to God, and to say, that's my revelation of God. He just works in mysterious He just lets and wants these things to happen. You're not being thoughtful. That sort of revelation won't last once you become an adult. Like, if you haven't noticed, after living about 24 hours in the real world, that doesn't last long. It's very hard. And the last one, it's called the guilt God. Okay? This is where God is guilting me into working harder and better and being a better person. God is throwing guilt and shame, and I do these things because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell. This is the guilt, God. Okay? These are some pretty standard categories of how we would say we experience revelation of Jesus. You follow me? That you go, I, I heard... Or I experienced, and then you may fall into one of these categories. What's interesting is what we're about to jump into blows this whole idea apart. The whole idea that we can create our own categories, cultural or personal, and that we can operate in those categories, and whatever someone else says, we can push it away, blows the whole thing apart. In fact, it's like this. It's like, have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? Okay, where... I mean, it's literally about a boss going undercover. So it's a CEO who goes undercover into their organization. So it can be the gas Shell, the gas station. I forget the one that I just watched, but I, I really like this show. I don't know, it's weird. It's old and, and it's all on Netflix, okay? So it's the CEO that dresses differently, gets a haircut, whatever, and goes undercover and works with the employees at, at kind of like a basic paying job. Oh, Great Wolf Lodge. That's the one I watched recently, where the, the owner of Great Wolf Lodge, CEO, she goes undercover and she's horrible at every job, okay? Like she can't teach the kids. She can't work the front desk. It's all really hard. And they think they're getting to know her. They think they're getting to know her, and she's under this alias of this other name. But then at the end of the show, what happens is the CEO 
calls them into her office at wherever the headquarters is, okay? And they think they're just filming something for the company, and they walk in, and there's the CEO. And this was the person who couldn't even check someone into the hotel, right? There's the CEO, and she smiles, and she goes, hey, it's me. I'm so-and-so. I'm the CEO of Great Wolf Lodge. And they go, like, I'm either getting fired or I'm getting a raise or something's going to, depending on how you treat the CEO, right? So all this takes place, which you just fast forward to the end. This is kind of the idea that we get when we jump into what we're in in Revelation. John the Beloved calls himself the Beloved. We know John was one of the closest disciples that Jesus had. John experiences Jesus in a way that it's like CEO of the world now. Come into my office, and the one who knew John or knew Jesus probably best of all the disciples is blown away. His response, he's never responded like this before to Jesus. It's as if Jesus, when he was walking with us, was working with the disciples, was was their, their co-laborer, and Jesus, and then John gets this revelation of, he is CEO. And I'm not quite sure what's going to take place. So let's jump into Revelation, okay? Chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation. So just to let you know, John is not speaking outside of tribulation. It's not like he's writing in the comfort of his own home. No, he's writing, he's saying, I'm part of this. Christians, just a side note, Christians who suffer should never suffer alone. It, like if we're all one body of Christ and there's believers that are suffering in this city, like how does your foot hurt and your hand doesn't respond, and your whole body doesn't respond? You get what I'm saying? It's like, it's as if like we're the body of Christ. When one part of us hurts, we all hurt. This is what John's saying. And the kingdom, uh, so I am partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom. So he's tying the two together. And the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on, uh, I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John is exiled, most likely. Some people think that he went there to receive a revelation, but, there's, but verses like this make us think he was exiled. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which would actually be on Sunday. So this wasn't like the end of the world on the Lord's day. This is like on a Sunday. So he's doing, he's like having church there on Patmos, probably by himself. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Write to these seven. So this is a real world letter going to the seven churches, then I turn to see the voice as you would. Okay, if you're hearing a voice, you would turn around. You would go like, where's this voice coming from? I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, which represent the seven churches, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like a son of man. Now, I, I just want you to go back to what Lisa said when she was leading worship that the temple, the place where God's glory dwelt, that veil was torn, now his glory is everywhere. Okay, the goodness of God, his glory is going to be greater than the waters covering the sea, or the, yeah, the waters covering the seas. And, and he says, and the seven lampstands, these are churches 
that are placed in Asia Minor in different places, and they are to be light. And he sees one like the Son of Man, which we'll talk about what that means in a second, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his neck. So he's seeing this. I don't, I don't know what you see when you think about Jesus. In fact, if you've had a personal experience of this Jesus-looking God, I don't know what that would look like. But what we do know is this happened in a way that was so dynamic, his whole entire demeanor changed. Uh, let's go to the next one. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. We'll talk about this as we go through it later. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. I remember one time I was listening to Revelation on audio CD, which this part's super scary because it's like you can hear flames and then it's Jesus talking with rushing water tones behind it. I don't even know how they made that work. But I just remember, actually, when we were listening to it, Lisa being like, can you, can you go to like another book of the Bible? Because this one's really, you know, it's like super intense, mostly because she likes to sleep in the car. So this will keep you awake, right? In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword. So if you're, if you're painting this picture in your head, it's very intense right now. And you're going, I like the boyfriend God. <laughs> I like the girlfriend God. I like the someone told me so is a little easier than what the Bible tells me. It's one of those moments. The, the sword, the double-edged sword, was what the Romans would use in execution. They would use this tool. But we also know that the word of God is like a double-edged sword. So does it make more sense to say that Jesus was spitting out, I mean, I don't know what kind of TV you watch, but Jesus was spitting out double-edged swords out of his mouth. Remember, we talked about imagery, apocalyptic literature. Apocalypse means to unveil, doesn't mean end times. Apocalyptic literature gives strong images to outdo other strong images. So does it make more sense to think that or to think truth is coming out of Christ and it's piercing the world? Which one would make more sense? So then it says this, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Later on in Revelation, we'll hear there doesn't even need to be a sun because of the brilliance of Christ. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. As though dead. So pause. John the Beloved, who leaned against Christ, whenever they were having a meal together. John the Beloved, who wrote about Christ, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John the Beloved, who was so anxious to see the resurrected Savior, responds in a way he's never responded before, as though he's dead. He knows it's Jesus, but he's never seen him as CEO. It's the unveiling of Jesus. It's the moment he says, come into my office. And one of two things can happen. Jesus can just squash him like a bug, okay? I mean, if you have eyes like fire and feet like bronze, and I mean, Jesus can do that. Or he can do what they do so often on that show and say, hey, I'm not mad. I just wanted to actually say I'm really proud of you. And I want to talk to you about the work that you're doing and how we can participate together and make things better as though dead. 
Okay? It's different than even in Isaiah, when Isaiah in the Old Testament is having this, he's seeing God, he's seeing in, in the heavens the thresh, like the, um, the, the threshold is shaking, and it's as if all of heaven is shaking before the power and presence of God, and Isaiah falls down. But it's not this kind of falls down. Isaiah falls down and says, woe is me. Like, I am incapable of being here. I'm not even worthy to be here. John's saying, I, I should be dead in this man's presence. But he laid his right hand on me. Jesus puts his right hand on him, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death in Hades. I have the keys to them, okay? Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this, because there are things that were happening right then. Remember, we talked about this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The revelation that we experience here is bizarre, I would say, um, without some sort of explanation. So here's what I want us to kind of revolve around, okay? Our relationship with Jesus will never exceed our revelation of him. So if you can remember this the rest of the week, definitely for tonight, your relationship with Jesus will not exceed your revelation of him. Or you could say this way, your response to Jesus, your personal response to him, will never exceed your revelation. Why would we play around at first with these different types of revelation people claim to have? Because the more shallow the revelation of Jesus you have, the more shallow relationship with him you will have. And the more shallow your response will be when he asks you to do something, you see. As a church, we would want to get to the point that we say, I, I see Christ as CEO of the universe. I go deeper. I'm not surface level all the time. My relationship with Jesus goes deeper because my revelation of him gets deeper. So here's the question. How do we have a revelation of Jesus? Now, if tonight, if you go to bed and you have, like if the Holy Spirit brings you and catches you up in the heavens and you have an unveiling and you write it down because the Lord tells you to write it down, you bring it to church. I mean, that's awesome. We're not going to count on that though, okay? But that would be absolutely amazing and, and bring it and let's talk about it. But how do the rest of us have revelations of Jesus? Well, I'm, I'm just going to look at what was happening with John and there are very practical things that we can do, okay? First is this, you suffer for him. You suffer for him, okay? This right here, he was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's been exiled, okay? He's in persecution. What we know about a lot of people that experience profound intimacy with Jesus is they experience it in their suffering. We know this to be true across church history. We know church martyrs, martyrs of the faith, have written down some of the most profound things, said things about, I see this as they're being burned. Okay? They're in their suffering, 
They are experiencing the glory of God in ways they've never experienced before. In fact, even Jesus points to this. Like he points to the fact that he's being persecuted. He's going to die. And then he says things like, pick up your cross and follow me. Paul even says he rejoices in his sufferings because Christ partakes in those sufferings with him. If you've never, ever suffered for the name of Christ, ever, it would be hard for you to understand what a revelation of Jesus is like. In the deepest moments of pain, when you cry out to God and all other options are gone, it's as if what we talked about last week, the veil between heaven and earth gets thinner and thinner and thinner. The man, uh, there's a book called The Heavenly Man about this man who started the underground churches in China. The Heavenly Man, I'm telling you, will ruin you if you read this book. And when I read it, I remember thinking, I don't know suffering. I don't know this kind of suffering. The sort of suffering this man went through. And someone asked him, they said, why do you experience more miracles and revelations in your country than we do here in America? Because towards the end of his life, as he's escaped prison and experienced miracles and those sort of things, he kind of traveled and started speaking. Well, as he speaks in America, we have questions, right? And um, they just asked this, how do you experience those sort of things? And this is what he said. He said, it's easy. You guys have health insurance. Was his response. It was really interesting because I'm not saying don't have health insurance. I'm actually saying have health insurance. But what he's getting at, what he follows up with, is you guys don't rely on God in your suffering. You have plan A, plan B, plan C, and God's like plan Z. Like if all else fails, maybe God will come through, right? We don't know what it's like to lean in on Jesus when we suffer. When, when, he, when Jesus would ask you, hey, when it comes to your finances, there's a few things I want you to do. I'm going to give you more money, but it's not going to be so that you can live more lavishly. It's so that you can live more generously, right? He lavishes on us so we can live generously. When he says things like that, if your revelation of Jesus is not good and you haven't experienced it in suffering, your response to him will probably be no. No. And, and I want you to know, suffering will look like a whole lot of different things. So I don't want to belittle. I don't want to compare it to the underground church in China, to what, what we experience when we suffer. Your family and your friends and the people that you are praying for, and, and we will just go back to a very basic example, the people who persecute you for your faith. When you suffer, do you lean in or do you lean out? What do you do? Do you lean towards Jesus or do you try to just push away enough to maintain a friendship and maintain a relationship with God? I'm telling you right now, every example in the New Testament of someone suffering, experiencing Jesus, has taken them to new levels. Their ability to tell Jesus yes is way higher than those of us who don't know how to say yes to him. When, when Lisa and I first uh, moved here to church plant, we, we tell you different stories, kind of like I was the pastor, we tell different stories. So I don't quite remember all the stories we've told, but um, when we first moved here, we had like 
$325, I think was exactly what we had in coming in a month. We were talking about this the other night. And you have two girls, well, I have three girls, my wife and then, and then two girls. And just to let you know, to live in Denver on $325 a month is like impossible, okay? You can't do it. So I remember pacing back and forth like this at a house. We, we stayed at a house in Evergreen while we found a house here. But I was also trying to save up our $325 so that we can maybe move into a house here. I remember pacing back and forth in the hallway. Everybody's in bed, and I'm pacing back and forth, and I'm praying, and I'm going, God, I can't, I cannot, I just can't. Like, that was my prayer. I, I don't know. I can't. This is not going to work. I don't know what you want us to do. Lead people to Jesus? Great. We can't. We're going to die. Like, we're going to die. We're not going to have any money for food. Pacing back and forth. Called a pastor, or talked to a pastor friend, who said, without me telling him about my, my pacing, he just said, I miss the days I would pace back and forth in the hallway because I knew Jesus was with me. I would experience him deeper. Well, then, in, in this time, I, I tell you this only to say, only to affirm this principle. In this time, we're talking with another church planner, and they're talking about how they're also having to do, like, find odd jobs and stuff. We're sitting at this table with different church planners in Denver, and we like we don't know what we're doing. We just want to see people love Jesus. We just want people to know the love of God. And I feel like God told me, I want you to give your savings to the church planner next to you. Okay? Well, the, the amount that we had coming in had increased, but not, I mean, I'm still like driving Lyft a lot. Like, this is my full-time job. And I'm going, no way. Like, I don't know, maybe that was the devil trying to kill my family. There is no way, okay? There is no way this is going to happen. So I lean over to Lisa, and I, I remember saying it in a way that I wanted her to tell me no. I'm like wanting her to be like, this crazy. So I'm going, hey, I feel like, you know, the Lord wants us to give this person money. You know, you're doing the whole face thing, like, Are you, isn't this so stupid? And she goes, how much? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, like I know, I know, and I said, uh, which wasn't a lot, by the way, I said, our savings. And she said, I mean, she did pause, you know, like our faith is strong, but she did pause. And she said, well, if God's telling you to, and I'm going, I don't know how to write that check. And then she asked me, like a few days later, have you written a check for them? Do we need to send it in? I said, yeah. And I'm telling you the depth of exposure I had to the person of Jesus far outweighed any exposure I had to him when I was in comfort. John is on an island, and he suffers, and he experiences Jesus, okay? So my question to you would be, are you willing to suffer? You don't have to force suffering on you. Are you willing? If you will say yes to that, the revelation of Christ in your life will become so profound and so real that your relationship with him will go to new levels. Okay? Because your relationship with Jesus will never exceed your revelation of him. Right? The next one, we suffer with him. Be in his presence. Be in his presence. We get in his presence. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard. Times like this, we don't do this because there's nothing else to do on Sunday nights. Right? We do this because we believe when we get in the presence of God, something happens. Something changes. 
when we are in the presence of God, so John is saying, in the Spirit, so he's in the presence of God on the Lord's Day, which is significant for us, because sometimes the Lord's Day feels routine. It just feels like another Sunday. It just feels like, well, should we go to church? Should we not go to church? Listen, I pastor this thing. I feel that way sometimes, okay? Should we do this? Should we not? And uh, there's something about being diligent in seeking God. There's something about following through with routine. There's something about that where God would visit you and change your life. And it would be also in your personal life that you go, okay, should I spend time with you? Should I pray or should I not pray? Yeah, there's something about not giving up. Continuing to water that seed that was planted in you. This is what Paul says. He says, do not forsake the gospel, the seed that was planted in you. Persistence. Half of life is just not giving up. And in, in places like this, where we enter in with worship, the words, if the words become so routine, you just stop even anticipating. Uh, don't be surprised when you don't experience the revelation of Jesus, the unveiling of the person of Jesus. Being in his presence is something to be desired. Being in his presence, being in his presence. I want to use like a real world example. When we're in the presence of other people, we start to learn about other people. Yesterday, I started Instagramming, okay? Which I know, like whatever, you're an old dad or whatever you want to say to me is fine. Uh, I started Instagramming. Lisa's teaching me how to Instagram. So I learned what an Insta story is. You're welcome for posting those if you watch those. Um, I learned how to Insta story. She's teaching me all this stuff. And one of the things I'm learning... I, feel, I, I literally feel so out of touch with you right now as I'm saying this, but I would appreciate no judgment. One of the things I'm learning with Instagram is the more that you're just present to the stories, the more that you start to know the person and the more that you laugh at what they're doing, the more you're just present to the person, right? As I get present to these stories and I'm watching and I'm going, that's funny, that's funny, you know, like, and then Lisa's like, don't waste your time, you know, don't waste too much time. Just the more I get present to the stories, the more I get present to the person. And this is why we gather. We get present to the story of what God's doing in prayer and in Scripture. We get present to the person of Jesus. Your relationship will never exceed your revelation. And if you don't try to get in his presence, you don't make a diligent effort. It's just sporadic for you. You're like, yeah, well, whatever. Whenever it happens, if Jesus wanted to do it, he would do it. No, no, that would be forcing himself on you. Jesus will draw near to you as you draw near to him. We're approaching a summertime where it's like church attendance will drop because that's what's natural. All across America, that's what's natural. Can I encourage you, be as diligent as you can that when you're in Denver, you say, we seek the presence of God. Teach your family and your friends this. We seek the presence of God. And on the Lord's day, don't be surprised when he does something, right? Be diligent in seeking the presence of God. This is how basic ways we receive revelation of Jesus. And then here's, here would be the last one. Study his word. Study his word. And in the midst, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. This is, this is from Daniel 7. Now, if John didn't know Daniel 7, this wouldn't make sense to him. In Daniel 7, there's a reference to the son of man. In ancient 
Hebrew culture, the Son of Man was kind of like a superhero, like the kids growing up would have known the reference to Daniel 7. What you'll find is Revelation and Daniel, they dance together. All throughout Scripture, they do this funky dance together, right? Where Daniel's like, and there, and Revelation's like, not there, but here, and there, and they do this fun dance. And what it's, Daniel 7's going, and the Son of Man pointing to the Messiah, pointing to the Messiah, the superhero for the kids, the one that is to come, that John would say, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that. That goes on and says, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Well, also in Daniel, there's a figure with white hair with this exact description, but it's not the Messiah, it's not the Son of Man, it's the Ancient of Days. And in Daniel, they're separated. The Ancient of Days is the CEO of the world and all of time and universe. That's the Ancient of Days. The Messiah is to deliver the message of the Ancient of Days. In Revelation, they're one. Jesus is the CEO. He is the one. He is God. This is why we say a Jesus-looking God. Jesus is God. And for John, it's not that John didn't know this, but I think it would be fair to say John's theology was developing. He knew this probably in head knowledge because of the way that he writes about Jesus in the Gospel of John when he says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He knew this. This was doctrine to him. Had he ever experienced it? No. So before God, he falls down as dead. Falls down as dead. God's response to him is to lay his right hand on him and to bring comfort and to say, I hold the keys to death and Hades. I'm in charge, John. I'm in charge. I didn't die and stay dead. I'm in charge. The Word, studying the Word, gave him all these connections of what God's doing in the world. I know for some people they say, I don't like reading. I, I don't know what else to say other than there's audiobooks and there's reading, and between the two, study the Word. But there has to be a way that you actually are getting the Word of God in your heart. We know, statistically, we've talked about this, the fastest or the most consistent way for someone to grow is through Scripture memorization. They're getting the Word. They're actually studying about God and it's coming in their heart. So that when you have revelations of God, when you're meditating on God and there's revelations, it's not like this wild, uh, uncontrolled, like, uh, out of the out of a fire hose it's not just this it's not just spring like that it's like like scripture is the water banks the river banks and the experience the revelation of god flows within those banks flows within those banks brings life in fact this is how psalm 1 talks about it that the one who brings the word into their heart is like a tree planted on the stream when we forsake any of these basic things we're unwilling to suffer we're unwilling to seek his presence and we're unwilling to study his story. Don't be surprised if your relationship is unwilling to go any further. Don't be surprised if you find yourself unwilling to say no or to say yes to Jesus because your relationship will never exceed your revelation. And if you're not doing things in your life on a regular basis to say, this is what I know, to seek the Jesus-looking God, 
the new relationship will either stop or dwindle, but it doesn't move forward. It doesn't move forward. Think about in your life the most intimate relationship you have. It could be if you're married, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend. If you're married, it should be your spouse. If you're not married, it could be a friend, okay? Think about this, the most intimate relationship that you have. And if you stopped learning and being exposed to the truth of who that person is, if you just stopped, do you think your relationship would go deeper or would get more shallow? It would start to surface that you would lose depth, you would lose connection. If you just tried for a month to say, I'm going to stop pursuing you and you stop pursuing me. We're going to stop talking on the phone. Regular things that would reveal who you are to me. Let's stop for a little bit. Busy. Well, don't be surprised if the relationship's not where it was before. Not where it was. Lisa, will you guys come up? We're going to have a time of response. I have a friend... I'd consider him outside of uh, Lisa to be my best friend. He's in L.A. And my friend in L.A., you know, we, we joke because he will probably call me after church tonight. He'll probably call me tomorrow. I'll call him Tuesday. We, we literally call each other all the time. His name's Alan. And, uh, and Lisa's asked me before. She said, how often do you and Alan talk? You know? And I said, I don't know. We would talk every day if we could. Tried to get Alan to move to Denver, but, you know, he hasn't experienced revelation of God. You know, his relationship's so shallow. I'm just kidding. He's a pastor in California. So, uh, all, all that to say, I, in, in talking, I actually don't think, I think that um, when we connect, when we even connect over the phone and we start to talk, or when we message each other, whatever it is, it just reignites this connection. It just reignites this, like, hey, we are best friends. Hey, let, let's talk. It re reignites that. W what I want to say in all of this is wherever you're at with God, if you go, I, I, like, I'm unwilling to suffer. I actually don't care about the Bible. And, um, and, I don't, and I don't think being in his presence is real. So if you start to say these things, if this is where you're at, you're, the distance right now between you having a relationship with God or even a deep relationship with God and, and your revelation of who he is is really like, I don't know, it's like a song away, taking a few minutes to get back with him. It's like in the movie, The Notebook. Remember, we talked about this before, but I'll, I'll go back to this tonight. In the notebook, when Noah, if you haven't watched the notebook, this ruins it. So you're just out of the times. You're like further behind than not having an Instagram. In the notebook, though, when Noah, Noah is teaching his wife, because she's lost her memory, teaching his wife the story every day, teaches her the story every day, teaches her the story. And then for five minutes, he gets to dance with her, and she has this revelation with him, this revelation, hear me, this revelation of, oh yeah, the story's about us, and she's crying, and she's like, it's about us, and you're the one, and I love the story, and you're, and then, and then she forgets again, right? And she starts to fade away, and her memory fades, and then Noah's like, no, come back, come back, and then he's weeping over her forgetting, and then what does he do the next day? He comes and tells her the story again. 
moments like this are when we go, I, I've forgotten, but God's been telling me this story. The revelation's been there. Yeah. Well, you're not far. God's not far. And, uh, and right now, being able to take time to say, I, I want to see you. Like, I, I, I say I have a relationship with you, but I want to see you. I want to go deeper with you. I want to know who you are. I've heard about you in your word. You are brilliant and, and to be feared, but you lay your hand upon the one who loves you. I want to know who you are. And his eyes like fire, he sees through everything. Man, he does, there's nothing that can hide from him. His eyes are like fire. It purges all that's false and wrong. And he sees that in John. He sees straight through John and still says, hey, I have the key. Like, I'm not going to kill you. I got the keys to death, right? Like, not only am I gonna, not going to kill you, I'm not going to let anybody else kill you, John. I've got the power. Tonight is all about getting in the dance with the Father and saying, I want a revelation of you. I just want to see you tonight. I just want to see you. You hear me? That's all tonight's about. Your relationship with Jesus will never exceed your revelation of him. And tonight, you can just go deeper.